And I'll go ahead and say that we're going to invite our children to stay in with us today. Since it is the final Sunday of the month, we'll all stay in for the whole service. Again, welcome to Freedom. And to those of you who are joining us now online, uh, welcome to Freedom Online. It's always good to have you be a part of worship with us. Wouldn't you agree that uh, once you've lived a while, you begin to realize that life is harder, more challenging, and more painful than you thought it was going to be? Would you agree with that? When, when I was young, I just imagined a smooth road before me. Uh, I was going to live to love and serve Jesus, and so the rough spots were going to be knocked out. Uh, life has been a little harder than that. The reality that all of us know is that life has more pains, more surprises, more challenges, difficulties, and losses than we were counting on. That would be overwhelming if we could know in advance everything that's coming if we just didn't know that we had Jesus inside of us and Jesus going before us to make sure that we're equipped for everything that we're going to face. Today we're going to focus on how do we get beyond, how do we rise above the biggest pains, the biggest challenges and struggles that we have in life as we focus in on the second thing that Jesus had to say in the greatest teaching that we have recorded in Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount. If you weren't here last Sunday, uh, we began a new series entitled Eight Keys to a Blessed Life. How many want a blessed life? Sign me up. I want it. The good news is Jesus wants you to have it. And that's not just some... Uh, American pie-in-the-sky version of you can have everything you want here and now just by calling on God's name. No, Jesus, in, in preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he made it really clear with the first eight statements that he made, everyone beginning with the word blessed, that God wants to bless us. He wants to show favor. He wants to bring fortune. He wants to bring happiness. That's what, what that word means. He wants to pour those things in our lives, but there are conditions that position us to be blessable. And so last week, we looked at the first of those where Jesus began by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we discovered that to be poor in spirit means simply that we arrive at a place where we realize, I cannot depend on myself. I've got to depend on God for everything. I've got to depend on God for wisdom and for strength and His timing and His finances and His protection in my life. I cannot trust in myself. And being poor in spirit means that I'm totally dependent on God because I've checked things out and I've come to the conclusion that I'm a failure apart from God. I can't clean up my act. I'm totally dependent upon God that I'm a spiritual beggar. We, we think that if we could just clean up our act, then God would be pleased and we could come to Him and we could say, See God, I'm doing better. Now you can love me. Now you can bless me. And being spiritually poor is the opposite of that. It's realizing I'll never get there. I'll never deserve the blessing of God. I have to begin by acknowledging, God, my life is fouled up. It's unmanageable. It's beyond what I can fix or control. And my only hope is you. So every day, every moment from this point forward, I'm just going to have to trust in you. I'm going to have to trust in your forgiveness, your grace, your power, your timing. That's the beginning point of blessing. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news to know you don't have to muster something that you have to begin by giving up and saying, God, it's going to all have to be you because I don't have it in me to get my acts together. Okay, that's the starting point for blessing. Now we move to the second of what's known as the Beatitudes, where Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Now that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Knowing that the word blessed in most of your translations comes out as happy. Happy are those who mourn. That almost sounds like happy are the sad. You know, we almost want to say, Jesus, I think you got that one wrong. Happy are the happy. Happier are the people with big houses. Happier are the people who are healthy. Happier are the people who have a good-looking husband, a good-looking wife. Happier are the people who have it all here and now. Happy are the happy. And Jesus said, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's dive into that. I don't know where you are in life right now. Not everybody in the room. Some of you have got a pretty good idea. But I know that across the room and, and across the board, for those of you watching and listening online... That we probably represent pretty much the whole gamut. Some people today, you're at a great place. Life is good and you're healthy and the people who are around you are healthy and you're secure and you're loved and the bills are paid and you've got a place to live and you're doing something meaningful in life. You're just at a good place. Hey, if that's where you are, just give thanks to God. It's wonderful to be in those places. There are a lot of other people around you who aren't at such a great place today. Some of the people around you are in a place of of loss, of pain, of suffering or grief. There are a lot of things that that we experience in life that bring pain to us. I mean, think about some of the... We we could make a long list, but just think of the things that do... the, The losses that we experience that cause deep pain. I mean, obviously, we lose people through death, and we we grieve and, and hurt for long periods of time when people that we love die, but we lose a lot of other things too, don't we? We lose jobs, we lose homes, we lose investments, we lose security, we lose the love of our life, we lose a marriage, you lose your sobriety. I mean, there are all kinds of things that you you lose in life that leave you at a dreadful place trying to figure out, am I ever going to be happy again? And in the middle of all that, Jesus says... I want to bless those who feel loss and who mourn loss. In fact, I declare today blessing, fortune, favor, happiness on those of you whose hearts are broken because of loss. Okay, that's not self-explanatory, but it's intriguing good news. Jesus wants today for the hearts that are today hurting over loss... He wants to do a work of healing. I mean, today, not, not just like, oh, maybe I'll just feel a little better when I leave. No, he wants to do a profound work of healing. I'm just going to say this for what it's worth. I don't often get texts from other ministers on Sunday morning, but I got a text from our good friend Isaiah, who texted me this morning, and he said, just uh, this morning I wanted to, to tell you, God spoke to me, and he said that he is pouring out his power on Freedom Church Power to heal those who are hurting. He had no idea what we're talking about today. But I just thought, what a wonderful confirmation and affirmation that God spoke into his life. Power is poured out today. Power is available today to heal people who are hurting. So I want to invite you today, as we dive into his word, press in with a heart that's expectant. Open to what God would want to do to to bring real healing in your life. Now what I'm going to share in the next little bit is just going to, kind of come in two parts and forgive me if this is a little more random than usual today but I'm just going to kind of give it to you shotgun style first I'm just going to share some general thoughts on 
understanding what we need and what we have to understand if we're going to deal with hurt and loss and experience what God wants for us. So the first half is going to be just kind of some general principles you need to understand. And then the second half is going to be focusing in on some specific ways that God wants to bless you and that we need to be open to and recognize that God is wanting to do in our lives. So if you want to pull out your outline and follow along, we'll begin with this truth. First of all, God doesn't expect me to be happy all of the time. That doesn't make you more spiritual to try and put on a happy face and all the time just go, joy, 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 Jesus, 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 I'm just happy every day. That is not what Jesus is trying to do, is to turn us into a bunch of spiritual cheerleaders. That is not the goal. Solomon said it well in Ecclesiastes 3 when he said, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn. And a time to dance. Aren't you so glad to know that God has designed that there are going to be times for rejoicing, for dancing, for celebration. That he has made us with a a capacity to laugh and dance and celebrate. And he's going to order life in such a way that you'll have significant seasons of just blessing and abundance and rejoicing and celebration. But for every life there are going to be other seasons. Seasons for loss. Seasons for grief. Seasons to mourn. And he expects us to do both. And he doesn't want us in those times of loss to feel like, oh, because you're a Christian, you're supposed to go around all the time just going, well, praise Jesus, I lost my job today. Just found out my dad's got cancer. Holy Spirit fingers. Isn't that wonderful? That's not what he's looking for. But haven't you been around people who acted like that? I will never forget... Uh, years ago living in Tuscaloosa and uh, working in student ministry and one of the ladies who worked with us in student ministry her two kids had come through our student ministry there and she was a wonderful godly lady a few years older than me but not much older at the time she was probably in her 40s Um, she was a strong believer her husband was not a believer not a Christian but we just really loved this family and had a heart for them had a heart to see her husband reached and uh, their sons, their older son, they were two years apart in age, the older son, nice kid, but he, he just had the most melancholy uh, outlook on life. He just was, if you remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, he was Eeyore, just, oh, bother, you know. But his little brother, Stephen, was just that kid that always made you smile. He, he had a little prankish, devilish side in him, but you just couldn't help but love him. And he was always kind of the life of the party. And when... Stephen, shortly after he had graduated, still living at home with his mom and dad, as he was just about to begin going to school at junior college and had a basketball scholarship, and life for him was just about to begin. And it was late on Saturday night, and Stephen uh, was going to just make a quick run to the store for something, and as he sat out the door, he goes, Hey, Mom, can I snag a piece of gum out of your purse? And she said, Sure, help yourself. He grabbed the gum, and he headed out the door. And his mom had no earthly idea that those were the last words that she would ever exchange with her son. Stephen got in his car and he pulled out of the apartment complex and got on a little service road and headed out to cross over the four-lane McFarland Boulevard. And I'm sure he looked up the road um, and saw the cars that were coming down the road. But at night it can be harder to judge how fast people are coming. And he didn't realize in that moment that the two cars coming his way as he was wanting to cross over two lanes to turn left on the four-lane didn't realize they were drag racing. And so as he began to pull across to try and get to the median, he got T-boned, an awful accident, and Stephen died in the middle of McFarland Boulevard. 
I'll never forget getting the phone call early that morning. And, of course, we immediately dressed and took off over to our friend's home. And some of the other leaders of the church had beaten us there. And when we walked in the door, the heaviness in the air was just so thick, you, you feel like you could have cut it with a knife. Death's always a tragedy. But to see a teenager who's just so ready for everything that's coming and who's come to a place of loving the Lord and God's got a plan and you're just ready to see that unfold and to walk in and realize that's over. This family's walking into something they'll never get over. You don't get over something like this. You get through it. You don't get over it. We walked in and it's so incredibly heavy. But the thing I'll never forget in that moment was the the bizarre sight of not of all the people who are grieving and just the the heavy looks and and it's just in the eyes and the faces of those who've gathered it was the sight of his mom who's going around with just this huge grin on her face like we're at a party and and we're celebrating a birthday or something, and she's just going from person to person. And as soon as we walked in, she, she approached us and said, Have you heard? Have you heard the news? Stephen's in heaven. He's with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And my heart just sank in that moment. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be tough, but to realize as I watched what unfolded over the, the next minutes and hours and days, weeks, and months as that continued, and to, to realize we were sort of powerless to undo what had been done, that she had sort of been brainwashed to think, this is what faith is supposed to look like. In the face of great tragedy, strong Christians are supposed to smile and go, this is wonderful. This is a great thing. And I know some may be thinking, well, you know, you're supposed to celebrate, aren't you, that he's in heaven. We give thanks that he's in heaven. But in moments like that, we're supposed to mourn. We're supposed to grieve. It's what our hearts need. And it's what God expects. God doesn't expect us to be some kind of holy cheerleaders going, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our teenager just died in an automobile accident. It's never what God expects. God's not trying to make some kind of plastic pretend people out of us. He made us with a capacity to grieve loss. We, we grieve all kinds of things. If we're healthy, we do. We grieve people passing. We grieve people who are facing terrible times of tribulation and sickness. We grieve over our own sin. We grieve over suffering in the world. We grieve over injustice. If we're healthy, we don't just always pretend like everything's okay. brings us to a second truth. And that is that grief is essential to my health. I I can't prove that there's a correlation between these things, but I could not help but notice that our friend that I was talking about, this dear lady whose son passed away suddenly, who had, to our knowledge, always been extremely healthy, not long after her son's death, began to experience major health crises. I mean, the kind where, like, they crack your chest open and transplant veins to your heart. Multiple major health crises. Just in thinking about that, I was reminded of something my doctor told me. I went for my annual checkup this month and we were just talking about the effects of stress and some stuff that I was dealing with at the time and I I just said I'm I'm sure it's stress and he said oh I don't doubt it 
because you know you can't cheat stress. He said stress is like lightning in your body. It's going to find a way out. It's going to find a place to go. It's going to find a place to strike. It, the only thing that's different is just from one person to another where it lands. He said, you know, for some people that lightning is going to land in your noggin and it's going to come out as headaches. For some, neck aches. For some, back pain. For some, stomach pain and, and ulcers. And for some, it's colon stuff. I mean, we could just go on and on all the different things that it'll do. But it'll make you sick. And you see, loss is stress. And, and loss and grief that can't be dealt with and let out in a healthy way, it'll make you unhealthy. It'll make you sick. It'll make you sick here or somewhere along the way. I watched our friend get sick and go through great physical pain and suffering following great emotional pain that couldn't find a way out. You know, if you don't grieve, and unfortunately we have a culture that that doesn't teach us how to grieve. It's really sad to watch. There are people who, in terms of just their their um, sociological background and ethnicity, are taught how to grieve. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but I mean in general, um, Jewish culture, people know how to grieve. If you're ever around Jewish people, man, they, they know how to grieve. African American culture typically is much better at grieving. Italian culture is is pretty good at expressing emotion. Western, Anglo, white culture, terrible at it. Brits and Americans, us honkies, we're, we're, we're not good at it. We're, we're, we're the ones who feel like we're supposed to be stoic. We're supposed to, we're supposed to just stuff all that away. And the truth of the matter is, if you don't ever grieve, it means one of three things. It means either you're out of touch with reality and you don't even grasp the tragedy that goes on around you. Or you're out of touch with your own feelings and you live in denial as to what you're actually going through. Or, worst of all, that you just don't love or care about anyone or anything else besides yourself. Because if you do, when things happen to other people, you'll grieve. Grief is healthy. It's absolutely necessary for you to be healthy. God designed you this way. It's a painful but healthy emotion and it's helpful. David reminds us of how vital this is and what happens to you when you don't grieve like you should. In Psalm 32, he said, When I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside me. I moaned all day long. That's what unexpressed grief will do to you. You just carry it on and on. Uh, In Psalm 39, he says, "I, I kept completely silent, but it did no good, and I even hurt worse. This crazy thing, when we're in the worst seasons of grief in our lives, we don't want to be around other people, even though we're desperately lonely and hurting. And it's like, as much as we need to talk about it and have somebody to share it with, there's something instinctive that says, no, I just I don't want to talk. David said, when I kept silent, it didn't do me any good. So I'll remind you of three things before we move on to the second half. The first of them is this. You know, there's no growth in life without change. And God is absolutely determined to help us grow up. And that doesn't mean that God has planned this script of all kinds of terrible suffering that he wants to bring in your life. That's not the story at all. But he knows that we live in a fallen world where evil exists and where tragedy happens. And God is determined not to waste any of those things. And he knows that it takes pain in order for us to make significant progress. Don't you wish that wasn't the case? 
I mean, I do in every area of life. I'm just going to tell you straight up. One of my favorite moments of every week is Thursday morning when I'm leaving the gym. I do all of my exercise Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then I'm, I give myself the weekend off. So like my favorite hour of the week is the first hour after the gym is done. Because I'm just thinking, praise God, until Monday morning I don't have to hurt like that anymore. I know all kinds of people who are like, oh, I love going to the gym. I hate going to the gym. I can't believe I pay them for me to go hurt like that in that place. It's insane. But here's what I understand. Some of my other favorite hours of the week this time of year fall on Saturday afternoons between noon and bedtime because there's college football everywhere and I can get on the couch with my big drink and my my remote in my hand and I'm just feeling no pain as I'm watching college football through the afternoon. But you know what? I'm not growing at all. I'm not getting any healthier. I'm not developing as a person. I'm turning into a couch potato. And on Monday morning, reality sets in. I've got to go back in the gym and feel some more pain because I don't grow apart from some painful stretching and and exertion taking place in my body. And the same is true for us emotionally, relationally, spiritually. It takes pain for us to grow. It takes change for us to grow. And so I'm not saying that we're supposed to become a bunch of sadistic people who go around and try and seek out pain. You don't have to go looking for it. It'll find you. It knows your address. You don't have to try and find it. At least we can go in knowing when life is hard, when painful things happen, it's okay. Because that just means I'm on the faster track towards real growth and maturity. And God's committed to this thing in the long run. He is going to get me where he planned to get me to. Remember what Philippians 1, 7 says. That God is faithful and he will accomplish. He will bring to completion in our lives what he has started. It's going to take some pain along the way to do that. Another truth you just need to understand is if I don't let it out, I'll act it out. When it comes to the pain that we feel from all of these different losses and tough experiences, if you don't let it out, you're going to act it out. Now that comes out in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways that we act out in relation to pain. The most basic that's easy to understand, but I'm not sure we ever just pause to consider this, but I mean, just think about when you have pain, just, just normal pain in the course of the day, what do you immediately try and do? Well, unless you're weird, you immediately try and alleviate it, right? You get a headache, you go look for Aleve. You go look for ibuprofen or Tylenol or something because I want to get rid of the pain. If there's a rock in your shoe and it's causing you pain, you whip the shoe off and get the rock out because we want to be free of pain. We want to be able to manage our pain. Well, in the little things, that's natural and that's good. But here's the really tricky thing. Along the way in life, some bad things have happened. Some of them happened to you when you were little. This is mind-boggling. Sometimes we want to blow this off and go, oh, I can't believe that's really affecting me today. It's been decades. For some of us, the pain that has haunted us happened when we were children or adolescents. It may have come in the form of abuse. It may have come in the form of neglect. It may have come in the form of watching mom and dad split up and you lived in a hellish situation because of parents divorcing. But for a lot of us, something happened early on that caused a great deal of pain. And most kids don't know how to grieve and mourn and get past the pain. 
And so it's like lightning stuck in a bottle. It's, it's still inside us. The pain is there. And we instinctively all are going to try and find a way to cope with the pain. I don't want to feel pain. I've got to stop the pain. So what do you do to get rid of pain that just lingers on and on? Well, when the pain is in here and here, I tell you some things that will eliminate that pain temporarily. Alcohol, it absolutely will. And lots of people figure this out. If I drink, if I drink enough for the next hour or two or several hours or maybe all day, I don't feel pain. Pills will do that. It will absolutely, for a window of time, it will take away the pain. Or it will at least mask it. Sex will do that. When you're in the middle of that experience, pain is overwhelmed by pleasure. And so a string of one-night stands, even though they may be destructive relationships, they'll numb the pain for a moment. You know another one that'll do it? It surprises us a little bit with food. Absolutely will do it. It works like drugs. It works like sex. For a lot of us, as long as I'm shoveling groceries in my mouth, the pleasure that I get out of that helps me to forget about and not feel my pain. And so, without even realizing why, we will feel drawn to these things again and again. And people will watch and go, well, why don't you just stop it? And the person who's in the middle of it is going, I'd like to. I don't even understand why I do what I do. And oftentimes, what is being driven there that we don't even understand is, I have pain inside me. I don't even recognize it for what it is. I just feel this incredible, overwhelming urge to... Lay hold of this thing that I know is bad for me. It's killing me because I'm eating it, I'm drinking it, I'm taking it, I'm running into it. And I know it's killing me and yet I've got to have it. It's not that big a mystery. We do that primarily because it helps us to deal with pain. Unresolved pain. Sometimes it will make you do things that are just crazy. I mean, one of the things that has been rather rampant in our culture today is cutting Particularly among teenagers, but some adults do it, and particularly among females. And I'll hear people say all the time, well, that's just crazy. I don't know why anybody would do that. That doesn't make any sense. You don't have to be smart to understand why people cut. We, the reason people do that is exactly the same reason why when you go to the doctor and they're giving you a shot or they're putting in an IV, how many of you, whether you realize it or not, in that moment, you will either pinch yourself or you'll dig a fingernail into yourself somewhere? How many of you admit that you've ever done that? At least a few of you know what I'm talking about. Do you know why we instinctively do that? Because I can't control the pain of what the doctor's doing to me here, and that causes anxiety. I can control this pain if I'm digging my fingernails into my my thumb over here. And the brain's gating mechanism will only primarily let me feel one pain at a time. If I can create more pain here than here, I don't feel this, and I don't feel anxious because I can control this. So you create pain that you can manage to mask pain that you can't manage. When you're hurting here and here in a way that you can't manage to take a blade and to inflict pain through your arms and your thighs gives you a pain that you can manage in order to block out a pain that you can't manage. Make sense? Oh, maybe a crazy sense. It may sound crazy, but it, it makes sense. You see, if you don't let it out, you'll act it out. Now, some people act it out in different ways. Some people do the things that I just said, which are kind of the classic things that you expect. But others, it comes out in other ways. 
For some, the way that you act it out is there's all this pain that you carry inside and you don't know what to do with it. So you just put the biggest honking lid you can find on top of it and you stuff it down and you don't let anybody go in there to know who you really are and how you really feel. Warriors, soldiers who have been in combat and who have experienced unspeakable pain, they come home and they don't think anybody can understand and I don't know what to do with it, so a lot of them do just that. They just put the biggest, biggest, heaviest cast iron lid they can on all of their feelings. And suddenly, everybody around them goes, I don't know what happened, but they're just not the same person. I can't seem to get through to them. And their acting out becomes, I'm just going to shut down. I'm going to become a person who has nothing to offer. Now, tragically... The other part of that, what will usually happen for the person who tries to just stuff it and put a lid on it is, it's really like, we've all, I've said this, you've heard me say it before if you've been around, it's all like we've all got a bucket that we carry that's our emotions. It's our emotional bucket. And the bad emotions that you carry are like acid in that bucket. Everybody's got some bad emotions, unresolved hurt, unresolved anger and all. And if those things don't ever have a way to get out, if if nothing healthy comes along to drill holes in the bottom of the bucket and to let those things just kind of harmlessly drain out, they'll build up over time. And you'll get to a point that you have a bucket full of acid. And the scary thing is, for the people who are carrying around a bucket completely full of acid, is every time anybody bumps them, Even a little bit, something spills over and burns them. And what that usually looks like is this person who's just got it all stuffed down inside and emotionally they're just like just trying to hold it in. and They try and never let out any emotion and then something bumps them. And it may not have even been all that major. And what do you get? You get a volcano. You get a rager. You get somebody who suddenly can't control their emotions at all. If you don't let it out... You're going to act it out. You with me? One final general principle. If I don't grieve a loss, I'll also get stuck in that stage. It's just a fact. When you don't deal with it in a healthy way, when you don't express grief and mourning over a loss, you'll get stuck there. You get stuck there emotionally. You can't get stuck there just almost mentally. Have you ever known grown-ups who, to be around them, you just feel like, they seem like, and, and I don't say this to be insulting, but where you just realize, this person seems to be emotionally about a 14-year-old. You might be surprised to learn. You get that person in therapy, and you'll discover something terrible and traumatic happened to them when they were about 13 or 14 years old, and they got stuck there because they never had a way of dealing with their grief. Grief can leave you stuck if you don't learn how to express it. You may not emotionally stay stuck at a particular age or stage, but your heart will get stuck at that place. And it can be 40 years since the original loss and pain occurred, and still you're stuck there. In fact, that's part of what God wants to heal today. There are some people who've been carrying around long-term hurts. You've acted it out. You've felt so much pain. You've done things that you didn't even understand were tied back to something that happened to you so long ago. And God wants to bring real healing to that. Now, moving on to the final portion. How is it that God wants to bless and minister to broken hearts? And I'm going to move through these very quickly. You've got them in your outline, so I'm not going to elaborate at great length about these. But six things very quickly, how God blesses broken hearts. And the first is this. God draws us close to himself when we're grieving. 
Psalm 34, 18. If this isn't underlined in your Bible, it needs to be. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. When you're in a time of terrible loss, there's a pretty decent chance you may feel like God's a million miles away. The truth is, the truth of God's Word is that He's not. He is especially close to you going through any time of loss. It doesn't... It's not hard for me to to try and figure out the darkest time in my life. I've shared it with you all very openly. It was six years ago. It was going through divorce and all the stuff that surrounded that. And I'll just say to you, out of that experience, you, you probably all could share your own personal experience of your deepest time of loss. I didn't, at an emotional level, I didn't feel this warm, fuzzy relationship with God. Just like, oh, I just feel like Jesus is just talking to me and he's just right by my side all the time. It didn't feel that way. And yet I was keenly aware of God's love and nearness in my life because I knew the truth. I knew that God draws close to the brokenhearted. That those are, who are crushed, it's, it's like he's a mama bird who just comes in and wraps his wings around us. He's closest when we're in those seasons. And we get confused about that when we fail to realize that I don't feel everything that's real. And not everything that I feel is real. You understand both halves of that? In that moment, I may say, I feel so alone. I feel so abandoned. I feel so much like God is so far away. It's all legitimate to say. I feel that in that moment. The fact that I feel it doesn't make it real. That is how I felt. I felt lonely. I felt crushed. But it didn't make it real. I I at least knew the reality was, regardless of how I feel, the truth is God is near. God is with me. And that left such a tremendous sense of peace to just know... God hasn't abandoned me. God's closer to me now than he's ever been. The thing that will get us confused is when we think that feelings define the truth. When you're going through a hard season, whatever it is, it may not be a time of loss. It just may be of great conflict and difficulty. You need to, to separate feelings from facts. You need to ask yourself in those hard times, what are the facts and what are my feelings? Well, I feel this. Okay, fine. It's legitimate to feel whatever you feel. But now let's get clear on what are the facts. The fact is, God loves me. God is faithful. God has promised to never abandon me. He has promised he'll be closer to me in a season like this than any other time in my life. That's a fact. I'll bank my life on it. You've got to embrace the facts. Because the feel, feeling will just lie to you a lot of times, especially in great difficulty. The feelings confuse us because what we're accustomed to is when life is good... And we come into worship, or we have our quiet time. We just get this warm, fuzzy feeling. It's just that Jesus all over feeling. And, you know, that's all good. Don't you like having those feelings? I love that. I love it when in my quiet time I feel like I just had hot chocolate with Jesus. Those are great. When you're going through a terrible loss, you're not going to feel like you just had hot chocolate with Jesus. When you have your quiet time, you're probably going to feel like it was work to pray. And it was work to read God's Word. And you may feel like God's voice was kind of quiet in that time. It's okay. Don't confuse your feelings with the facts. The fact is, God draws near to us then. Paul said it so well in 2 Corinthians 6.10. Our hearts ache, but at the same time we have the joy of the Lord. I know that feeling. Many of you could testify to the same thing. Oh, my heart is, is hurting so bad. And yet, there's a joy I just can't even explain there's a peace because i know i'm not going to stay stuck here 
There's a season for everything, and I'm in a season of loss. I'm in a season of mourning. But God has promised there will be seasons of laughter and dancing. And he's promised to be with me in the season of mourning. Second way that God blesses the brokenhearted is that he grieves with us. You know, when you're experiencing a terrible loss, I mean, like you, you've just today or this week or this month heard dreadful news, the kind that just washes over you like a huge wave. You know what you need as much as anything in that? You just need somebody to be with you who knows your pain. I was reading the words of a, of a father. Uh, it's, a, it's a fellow pastor. His son, a year earlier, had committed suicide. He in his early 20s and took his own life. He struggled with depression and uh, some different uh, emotional issues. And it finally just got the best of him. He took his own life. And his dad was sharing a year later how you know, God had walked him through that, but how painful it had been. And how um, every single day for the past year, there had never been a day that he didn't cry. He wasn't losing ground. He was getting to a better and better place. But he says, there's still never a day that I fail to cry and and grieve over that. It's a a healthy thing, healthy sign. But part of what he shared is that the people who really are able to help mostly are the people who have experienced the same kind of loss. It's parents who have done what parents should never have to do, had to bury their own child. And while other people come along and try and comfort, it takes somebody who has grieved like you have grieved to know how to just be with you and love you while you grieve. I remember the whole thing of trying to to get through the pain of divorce. And consistently, it was the people who have been through divorce who were able to really comfort my heart. Who understood what I was going through and knew how to just come alongside. Not to try and fix it. Not to say, here are the three things that you're going to experience and then you're going to be all better. No, they just knew how to come and just be alongside. Say, I know exactly how you feel. And I am so sorry. And I'm just going to be here with you. God is able to do that. Jesus, the scriptures call him a man well acquainted with sorrow. He is known as the man of sorrows. Do you remember what happened in John 11 when Jesus found out that his close friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was deathly ill. And by the time Jesus got there, he was dead and buried for days. Everybody's just grieving and wailing. Now they're watching to see what Jesus is going to do. And we read in John 11 that when Jesus saw Mary crying and the people with her crying too, he was very upset and deeply troubled. And Jesus cried. And the Jews said, look, he loved Lazarus very much. You ought to circle that word loved. When Jesus walked into a painful situation where everybody was grieving, Jesus grieved. He cried. He cried because he loved You love somebody and they hurt or they die and you mourn. God doesn't look at us and go, well, bless your heart. That must be hard. So sad for you that you're human and you have to feel that way. No. We grieve because we're made in the image of God. God has emotions. God grieves tragedy. And when we grieve, God says, I understand. I know how you feel. Jesus is our advocate before the Father, saying, Oh, Father, pour out grace. Pour out what they need. Surround them with love and care because we know how that feels. He's able to grieve with us. 
A third thing is, God gives us a church family for support. That's a big deal. That's up to us whether or not we access that. Paul said in Romans 12, In the same way, we are many people, but in Christ we're all one body, one family. And each part belongs to all the others. So love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters. When others are happy, you should be happy with them. And when others are sad, you should be sad too. You see, you weren't meant to go through grief on your own. You weren't meant to go through life on your own. And you absolutely weren't meant to go through grief on your own. Because the healing that God has designed us to receive, we receive primarily in community. I'll say that again because some of us miss that. Healing primarily happens in community. When you're trying to overcome loss and the terrible pain that goes with it. You see, we've been brought up in a culture where, especially for the guys in the room, let me just talk to us for a minute. At some level, we all think we're supposed to be John Wayne and Clint Eastwood rolled together. You know, just suck it up, cupcake. Pilgrim. I must have hurt a lot. Rub a little dirt on it and move on down the line. You know, I mean, that's just kind of how we think we're supposed to act. Just be a man. Suck it up. You'll be a dysfunctional man if that's what you try and do. Healing happens in community where you have an opportunity. And when I say in community, sometimes community expressed is two people being together, three people being together. Healing happens when in a family you have a brother or sister who can come alongside you and you can express your grief. You can cry together and you can say out loud what you're feeling. The fact that we don't know how to do this is why countless professional counselors, praise God for them, therapists all around us, you will wait in line to get in to see them. For the best ones, you'll wait for months to get an appointment with them and you will spend a fortune to get to see them. It's all about supply and demand. And you know why they're in such great demand? Because people can't find community. They don't know how to connect at a level where you say, I've got to be able to tell somebody what I've been through and what I'm feeling. Paul's trying to say to us in the church, you've got to open up. You've got to share what's going on. You've got to be willing to express your hurts. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Having some brother or sister that you can express that to. God made you that way. You're never meant to go through this on your own. So he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, So comfort each other and give each other strength. There's a, there's a wonderful principle that when you share a joy, it's doubled. You know how that feels, don't you? Like something's so awesome, but it's so much more awesome if somebody else is there to share it with you. The other half of that is, and when you share a grief, it's halved. Isn't that good news? It's about how God designed us for community. Joy is so much better when we share it with somebody else. It's doubled. And grief is so much diminished when we can share that with somebody else. I was in the uh, Thomas Hospital surgical waiting area yesterday. That's normally a, an empty room on Saturdays. It's a busy room five days a week. Um, Butch was in there with me for part of that time but then uh, the the latter portion of that time I was the only person in there until I heard somebody come in the other end you know the waiting room there's kind of a big L and I could hear her just around the corner and she's just sobbing and it's that awkward thing of like I probably don't know this person and yet I hear them grieving and I'm, I'm on the verge of getting up and going over and just saying hey I have no idea what's going on do you need somebody to talk to I'm a pastor you know 
could I help you in any way? And just before I'm ready to get up and go over there, I hear her make a call on her phone. She's a young woman. She's probably 30 years old. And, um, and she's talking to a family member. And she's explaining um, that her husband has just had a heart attack. And he's still alive. They're, they're working on him back there. But she's just been crying her eyes out. But I, And I'm not trying to listen in, but we're the only two people in the room, so you can't help but hear this. And it was just an interesting thing to observe that she's overwhelmed with all of the emotion, the, the fear and just the, the grief of, oh, my goodness, what's going on? What just happened? What's this going to mean going forward? And it's like it's unbearable. It's, it's just too much. And she's just, she's just bawling her eyes out. But every time that she would share with somebody else that she was close to, I listened to her do it again and again. Every time she would share it with somebody else, her emotion and her grief would drop. And suddenly she'd regain composure. And you could just tell she would be comforted by that. I have no idea if they were Christians or not. And it doesn't even matter in that moment because the principle still holds true. Because she had somebody else just grieving with her. It's like hers was halved. You've got to have other people that you let walk through that with you. And you've got to open up and share with them. The fourth thing is, God uses grief to help us grow, and sometimes that just helps us get through it knowing that. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. God is using his megaphone when we're going through painful times. Uh, Solomon said in Proverbs twenty thirty, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. God isn't going to waste the painful experiences of your life, and um, somehow he does always redeem those. If we're open to what he's doing. Now, we know the truth of Romans 8.28 where it says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. We need the comfort of that, right? We, we need to know God's not going to waste this. Somehow he's going to work good out of this tragedy. But don't you dare throw that verse out as a platitude for somebody who's going through terrible suffering. Cheer up. It's all going to be okay. Because if it happened, God must have wanted it to, and he's going to use it for your good. And at that point, pow, you can sock them in the nose if that's what they said to you in your time of loss. That's not what we're supposed to do with that verse. I mean, that's, that's a verse we're supposed to hold on to in our times of loss and to just go, God didn't make this happen, but he's so good, he'll redeem the worst tragedies. Somehow, he'll bring good out of this. The, the people who have studied the survivors of the death camps during World War II have found that of that small percentage who survived the concentration camps where millions and millions of Jews were put to death, that the the common thread among most of the survivors is that in the middle of their suffering, those who survived found meaning in the midst of their pain. Now that may sound vague and generic, but just to put a face on that. In the middle of that kind of suffering... You can either, you know, say, woe is me, I'm so angry at God, there can't be a God. Or, you know, you can, you can focus all of your energy on how evil the enemy is or how unfair God is or in all these unhealthy directions. Or you can find meaning in your pain and recognize, just as a for instance, as awful as this is, God has positioned me to bring comfort to some of the worst human suffering in the history of the world. And people can find such meaning in that, that if you could walk up to them in the midst of that moment and say, here is your ticket out of here, you get to go to America or somewhere far away and be freed from your suffering, that they have found such meaning in their suffering that they would say, as terrible as this is, 
I can't leave behind all of these other friends that I have who are still in the midst of the pain. There is meaning in what I'm doing here. Because I'm entering into their suffering and helping them get through that. That may sound far removed for you, but what I'm just saying in that is, whatever you're going through, you can find real meaning in that. I mean, I'll just tell you, going through the whole thing of divorce, part of what gave meaning to those experiences was God kept reminding me in that people that you've been lousy at ministering to before, you're going to be able to connect with because you are entering into their suffering. And I kept thinking, God, I'd have rather read a book on it. And he kept reminding me, a book won't do the trick. You've got to walk through pain in order to comfort those who are suffering. The fifth thing is that God gives us the hope of heaven. Aren't you glad? That helps us in two ways. For one, we just need to know that there's going to come a day when this, the struggling is over for us. But it also comforts our hearts when we've had to say the final goodbye to somebody who meant the world to us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died. He's talking about those who have died in the Lord. We don't want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. We grieve differently. We still grieve. This doesn't mean that when somebody dies that was a Christian, we just go, oh, it's all better because they're in heaven. They are in heaven. And we have tremendous comfort from knowing that in heaven they aren't suffering. The words of Revelation aren't a fairy tale. When he says that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain because all of the old ways are gone. And all of God's people said, amen, thank you, Jesus. But it doesn't mean that when we're saying goodbye to someone that we love that we don't grieve. We're not grieving where they are. We're grieving that they're not here with us. And that's healthy and normal. And then finally, just understanding that God uses our pain to help others is a big deal. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, He comforts us whenever we suffer, and He does. And that's why whenever other people suffer, we're able to comfort them by using the same comfort that we have received from God. I've had a lot of opportunities over the years in sitting with people and listening to their grief. And as they move further down the line and working through their grief, to have the opportunity to say to them, this thing that just a few weeks or months ago seemed like such a black hole that you could never get out of it, and you're just beginning to see a hint of, of a ray of light at the other end. It seems so far removed that you'd ever get to a happy place. But I'm telling you, not only are you one day going to be back at a healthy place where where you can rejoice and be happy and enjoy life again. But I can just about promise you that what you've just walked through, if you continue to walk with God, you're going to walk with multiple other people through the same experience. You're going you're to be with other people who've buried a parent, who've buried a child. You're going to be with other people who've gone through divorce, who've lost a job, who have been through what you've been through and who feel hopeless in that, and you're the person that God's going to bring along. And the very comfort that you received that got you through, you're going to be able to sit with them and say, I know how you feel. I know how scary and uncertain and just how black it feels. I know how much you don't want to go be with other people. I know how church feels like such a weird place to be, but it feels like the most awkward hour of the week for you. I know how you feel in this moment. Can I just share with you just what comes next? Sometimes you have to wait for a while before you can even share that. You just got to be with them and just say, I get it. Sharing out of the comfort that you've received. Now, I'm going to close by just sharing two or three just 
very simple things about when you comfort others who are grieving. Some do's and don't do's. When comforting the grieving, always avoid saying things like, at least, da 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 you know, fill in the blank. To that grieving mother who's just had a miscarriage, to come along and say, oh, bless your heart, I'm so sorry. But at least you're still young, you can have more kids. At least you've still got that other child. That's not comfort. That's trying to minimize their pain. That's a polite way of saying, suck it up, it ain't that bad. I mean, think about it. At least, those words at least tell you, I'm trying to minimize what you're going through and say, it ain't that big a deal. Never do that. A second one. Let the other person express their emotions, whatever they are, because they're just that. They're just emotions, and they're legitimate. Whether by your words or by your actions, give them permission to express whatever they're feeling. I hated to realize this, but some years ago I had to come to terms with the fact that I'd made myself the emotional police. I was the Barney Fife of emotions, you know. Give me a badge and a bullet in my pocket. Because when somebody was feeling the wrong emotion in a time of loss, I want to come in and tell you, oh, no, no, you shouldn't feel that way. When a person's hurting and they're angry at God because they don't understand how a good God would let something like this happen, don't be angry at God. It's not His fault. You shouldn't feel that way. It's the unspoken thing in that. We can't tell other people how to feel when they're going through that. A feeling is just that. It's just a feeling. And they have permission to feel whatever they feel and to express what they feel. And sometimes they're going to be mad and sometimes they're going to be confused and sometimes they're going to be lonely and they're going to express that feeling, feel that toward somebody that's not even actually the source of it and we don't have to be the police to correct that. We need to just give them space to feel what they feel in that moment. Feelings will come and go. And the final piece of advice that I'll give is you've got to give them as much time as they need. Everybody grieves at a different rate. Some fast and some very slowly. And we don't need to be holding a stopwatch and saying, well, it's been six months. How long is it going to take you to get over it? They may not get over it. They're just trying to get through it. And you've got to give them as much time as they need to get through it. You just hold on. Whether you're the one dealing with it or helping them deal with it, you hold on to the assurance that God's not going to waste a hurt. And it's very likely that your greatest ministry is going to come out of your greatest hurt. Whatever's hurt you the deepest is probably going to give you the greatest capacity for ministering to others. And so I'm just asking you, as you think about your own life, is there an unresolved hurt? Is there pain that you're still carrying? When you look at your your own experience, are you acting out and you don't even understand what this is stemming from? This is why Celebrate Recovery is so important because it's a, a plan for walking people through a process to discover what the pain that's the source of all of this acting out is and get to a healthy place. Whatever it is, I can tell you this, God doesn't want you to carry that for the rest of your life. He'd love today to drill some holes in your bucket and just let that pain just pour out harmlessly. But a lot of it's up to us. Are you willing to express it? Expressing it's usually going to mean we've got to let some emotion out and we've got to talk it out with somebody. Usually it isn't going to happen in a room alone. It's going to, going to happen because you said, I need help. I need somebody to stand with me. I need to just tell somebody what's going on and what I'm feeling. Revealing the feelings, the beginning of healing. 
Would you be willing to express that to God? Would you be willing to express that to somebody and let them just begin to walk with you through the pain? Would you bow with me as we pray? God, we hold on to the promise of your word that you are the God of all comfort. We don't want to numb pain here today, God. We want to walk in the healing that you have. There are some people here today still hurting from divorce. Still hurting from abuse. Still hurting from sexual victimization. Still hurting from awful childhood experiences. Some hearts that are still hurting because of death, separation. God, we are powerless to fix each other. We won't try here today. But we believe in your goodness and your power to meet us where we are. We're not going to try and do any ministry magic here today, but we are we're looking to you and we're asking you, Holy Spirit, would you bind up the brokenhearted? Would you be close to those who are crushed in spirit today? God, we welcome your work among us and we pray this in Jesus' name.